15. You a little book in which you have noted such features, and when you have cast a glance at the face of the person you wish to draw, you can look, in private, which nose or mouth is most like, or there make a little mark to recognize it again at home. Of grotesque faces I need say nothing, because they are kept in mind without difficulty. The position of the head, 573. How you should set to work to draw a head of which all the parts shall agree with the position given to it. To draw a head in which the features shall agree with the turn and bend of the head. Pursue this method. You know that the eyes, eyebrows, nostrils, corners of the mouth, and sides of the chin, the jaws, cheeks, ears and all the parts of a face are squarely and straightly set upon the face. Footnote. Compare the drawings and the text belonging to them on place IX. Number 315. Place X number 316, place XL number 318 and place XII number 319. Therefore when you have sketched the face draw lines passing from one corner of the eye to the other, and so for the placing of each feature, and after having drawn the ends of the lines beyond the two sides of the face, look if the spaces inside the same parallel lines on the right and on the left are equal, but be sure to remember to make these lines tend to the point of sight. Footnote. See place XXXI. Number 4. The slight sketch on the left hand side. The text of this passage is written by the side of it. In this sketch the lines seem intentionally incorrect and converging to the right compare I12 instead of parallel. Compare to with this text the drawing in red chalk from Windsor Castle which is reproduced on place XL. Number 2. Of the light on the face 574, 576, 574. How to know which side of an object is to be more or less luminous than the other? Let be the light. The head will be the object illuminated by it and that side of the head on which the rays fall most directly will be the most highly lighted. And those parts on which the rays fall most aslant will be less lighted. The light falls as a blow might. Since a blow which falls perpendicularly falls with the greatest force. And when it falls obliquely it is less forcible than the former in proportion to the width of the angle. Exemply grazia if you throw a ball at a wall of which the extremities are equally far from you the blow will fall straight. And if you throw the ball at the wall when standing at one end of it the ball will hit it obliquely and the blow will not tell. 575. The proof and reason why among the illuminated parts certain portions are in higher light than others. Since it is proved that every definite light island or seems to be. Derived from one single point the side illuminated by it will have its highest light on the portion where the line of radiance falls perpendicularly, as is shown above in the lines a G and also in a H and in LA, and that portion of the illuminated side will be least luminous, where the line of incidence strikes it between two more dissimilar angles, as is seen at PCD and by this means you may also know which parts are deprived of light as is seen at MK. Where the angles made by the lines of incidence are most equal there will be the highest light, and where they are most unequal it will be darkest. I will make further mention of the reason of reflections. Footnote, see place XXXII. The text, here given complete, is on the right hand side. The small circles above the beginning of lines 5 and 11 as well as the circle above the text on place XXXI are in a pale ink and evidently added by a later hand in order to distinguish the text as belonging to the Libro di Pedrosi Prolegomena. Number 12. Page 3. The text on the left-hand side of this page is given as NOS. 577 and 137. 576. Where the shadow should be on the face. General suggestions for historical pictures 577, 581. 
577. When you compose a historical picture take two points, one the point of sight, and the other the source of light, and make this as distant as possible. 578. Historical pictures ought not to be crowded and confused with too many figures. 579. Precepts in painting. Let you sketches of historical pictures be swift and the working out of the limbs not be carried too far, but limited to the position of the limbs, which you can afterwards finish as you please and at your leisure. Footnote, see place XXXVII. Number 2. The pen and ink drawing given there as number may third also be compared with this passage. It is in the Windsor collection where it is numbered 101. 580. The sorest misfortune is when your views are in advance of your work. 581. Of composing historical pictures. Of not considering the limbs in the figures in historical pictures, as many do who, in the wish to represent the whole of a figure, spoil their compositions. And when you place one figure behind another take care to draw the whole of it so that the limbs which come in front of the nearer figures may stand out in their natural size and place. How to represent the differences of age and sex 582, 583, 582. How the ages of man should be depicted, that island infancy, childhood, youth, manhood, old age, decrepitude. 583. Old men ought to be represented with slow and heavy movements, their legs bent at the knees, when they stand still, and their feet placed parallel and apart, bending low with the head leaning forward, and their arms but little extended. Women must be represented in modest attitudes, their legs close together, their arms closely folded their heads inclined and somewhat on one side, old women should be represented with eager, swift and furious gestures, like infernal furies, but the action should be more violent in their arms and head than in their legs, little children, with lively and contorted movements when sitting, and, when standing still, in shy and timid attitudes, footnote, brachy rack old, compare place xxxii, this drawing, in silver point on yellowish tinted paper, the lights heightened with white, represents two female hands laid together in a lap. Above is a third finished study of a right hand, apparently holding a veil from the head across the bosom. This drawing evidently dates from before 1500 and was very probably done at Florence, perhaps as a preparatory study for some picture. The type of hand with its slender fin forms is more like the style of the Gershaw's Rochers in the Louvre than any later works as the Mona Lisa for instance, of representing the emotions. 584. That a figure is not admirable unless it expresses by its action the passion of its sentiment. That figure is most admirable which by its actions best expresses the passion that animates it. How an angry man is to be figured. You must make an angry person holding someone by the hair, wrenching his head against the ground, and with one knee on his ribs, his right arm and fist raised on high. His hair must be thrown up, his brow downcast and knit his teeth clenched and the two corners of his mouth grimly set, his neck swelled and bent forward as he leans over his foe, and full of furrows, how to represent a man in despair, you must show a man in despair with a knife, having already torn open his garments, and with one hand tearing open the wound, and make him standing on his feet and his legs somewhat bent and his whole person leaning towards the earth, his hair flying in disorder, of representing imaginary animals, 585, how you should make an imaginary animal look natural. You know that you cannot invent animals without limbs, each of which, in itself, must resemble those of some other animal. Hence if you wish to make an animal, imagined by you, 
appear natural let us say a dragon, take for its head that of a mastiff or hound, with the eyes of a cat, the ears of a porcupine, the nose of a greyhound, the brow of a lion, the temples of an old cock, the neck of a water tortoise, footnote, the sketch here inserted of two men on horseback fighting a dragon is the facsimile of a pen and ink drawing belonging to Baron Edmund de Rothschild of Paris, the selection of forms, 586, of the delusions which arise in judging of the limbs, a painter who has clumsy hands will paint similar hands in his works, and the same will occur with any limb, unless long study has taught him to avoid it, therefore, O painter, Look carefully what part is most ill-favored in your own person and take particular pains to correct it in your studies, for if you are coarse, your figures will seem the same and devoid of charm, and it is the same with any part that may be good or poor in yourself, it will be shown in some degree in your figures. 587. Of the selection of beautiful faces. It seems to me to be no small charm in a painter when he gives his figures a pleasing air, and this grace, if he have it not by nature. He may acquire by incidental study in this way, look about you and take the best parts of many beautiful faces, of which the beauty is confirmed rather by public fame than by your own judgment, for you might be mistaken and choose faces which have some resemblance to your own, for it would seem that such resemblances often please us, and if you should be ugly, you would select faces that were not beautiful and you would then make ugly faces, as many painters do, for often a master's work resembles himself. So select beauties as I tell you, and fix them in your mind. 588. Of the limbs, which ought to be carefully selected, and of all the other parts with regard to painting. 589. When selecting figures you should choose slender ones rather than lean and wooden ones. 590. Of the muscles of animals, the hollow spaces interposed between the muscles must not be of such a character as that the skin should seem to cover two sticks laid side by side like nor should they seem like two sticks somewhat remote from such contact so that the skin hangs in an empty loose curve as at, but it should be like, laid over the spongy fat that lies in the angles as the angle and MO, which angle is formed by the contact of the ends of the muscles and as the skin cannot fold down into such an angle, nature has filled up such angles with a small quantity of spongy and, as I may say, vesicular fat, with minute bladders in it full of air, which is condensed or rarefied in them according to the increase or the diminution of the substance of the muscles, in which latter case the concavity always has a larger curve than the muscle. 591. Of undulating movements and equipoise in figures and other animals. When representing a human figure or some graceful animal, be careful to avoid a wooden stiffness, that is to say make them move with equipoise and balance so as not to look like a piece of wood, but those you want to represent as strong you must not make so excepting in the turn of the head, how to pose figures, 592, of grace in the limbs, the limbs should be adapted to the body with grace and with reference to the effect that you wish the figure to produce, and if you wish to produce a figure that shall of itself look light and graceful you must make the limbs elegant and extended, and without too much display of the muscles, and those few that are needed for your purpose you must indicate softly, that island not very prominent and without strong shadows, the limbs, and particularly the arms easy, that island none of the limbs should be in a straight line with the adjoining parts, and if the hips, which are the pole of a man, are by reason of his position, placed so, that the right is higher than the left, make the point of the higher shoulder in a perpendicular line above the highest prominence of the hip, and let this right shoulder be lower than the left, 
let the pin of the throat always be over the center of the joint of the foot on which the man is leaning. The leg which is free should have the knee lower than the other, and near the other leg. The positions of the head and arms are endless and I shall therefore not enlarge on any rules for them. Still, let them be easy and pleasing, with various turns and twists, and the joints gracefully bent, that they may not look like pieces of wood. Of appropriate gestures 593-600-593. A picture or representation of human figures ought to be done in such a way as that the spectator may easily recognize, by means of their attitudes, the purpose in their minds. Thus, if you have to represent a man of noble character in the act of speaking, let his gestures be such as naturally accompany good words, and, in the same way, if you wish to depict a man of a brutal nature, give him fierce movements, as with his arms flung out towards the listener, and his head and breast thrust forward beyond his feet as if following the speaker's hands, thus it is with a deaf and dumb person who, when he sees two men in conversation although he is deprived of hearing can nevertheless understand, from the attitudes and gestures of the speakers, the nature of their discussion, I once saw in Florence a man who had become deaf who, when you spoke very loud did not understand you, but if you spoke gently and without making any sound, understood merely from the movement of the lips, now perhaps you will say that the lips of a man who speaks loudly do not move like those of one speaking softly, and that if they were to move them alike they would be alike understood. As to this argument, I leave the decision to experiment, make a man speak to you gently and note the motion of his lips. Footnote, the first ten lines of this text have already been published, but with a slightly different reading by Dr. N. Jordan, Das Maler Buch Leonardo de Vinci's page 86, 594 of representing a man speaking to a multitude, when you wish to represent a man speaking to a number of people, consider the matter of which he has to treat and adapt his action to the subject, thus, if he speaks persuasively, let his action be appropriate to it, if the matter in hand be to set forth an argument, let the speaker, with the fingers of the right hand hold one finger of the left hand, having the two smaller ones closed, and his face alert, and turn towards the people with mouth a little open, to look as though he spoke, and if he is sitting let him appear as though about to rise, with his head forward, if you represent him standing make him leaning slightly forward with body and head towards the people, these you must represent as silent and attentive, all looking at the orator's face with gestures of admiration, and make some old men in astonishment at the things they hear, with the corners of their mouths pulled down and drawn in their cheeks full of furrows, and their eyebrows raised, and wrinkling the forehead where they meet, again, some sitting with their fingers clasped holding their weary knees, again, some bent old man, with one knee crossed over the other, on which let him hold his hand with his other elbow resting in it and the hand supporting his bearded chin, footnote, the sketches introduced here are a facsimile of a pen and ink drawing in the Louvre which Herr Karl Brunn considers as studies for the last supper in the church of Santa Maria del Grazie e Leonardo di Vinci, LXI, pages 21. 27 and 28 in Domes Kunstler Kunstler, Leipzig, Seaman. I shall not here enter into any discussion of this suggestion, but as a justification for introducing the drawing in this place, I may point out that some of the figures illustrate this passage as perfectly as though they had been drawn for that express purpose. I have discussed the probability of a connection between this sketch and the picture of the Last Supper on page 335. The original drawing is 27.34 cm wide by 21 high, 
the drawing in silver point on reddish paper given on place LII. Number 1 The original at Windsor Castle may also serve to illustrate the subject of appropriate gestures, treated in NOS, 593 and 594, 595, of the disposition of limbs. As regards the disposition of limbs in movement you will have to consider that when you wish to represent a man who, by some chance, has to turn backwards or to one side, you must not make him move his feet and all his limbs towards the side to which he turns his head. Rather must you make the action proceed by degrees and through the different joints, that island those of the foot, the knee and the hip and the neck. And if you set him on the right leg, you must make the left knee bend inwards, and let his foot be slightly raised on the outside, and the left shoulder be somewhat lower than the right, while the nape of the neck is in a line directly over the outer ankle of the left foot, and the left shoulder will be in a perpendicular line above the toes of the right foot and always set your figures so that the side to which the head turns is not the side to which the breast faces, since nature for our convenience has made us with a neck which bends with ease in many directions, the eye wishing to turn to various points, the different joints, and if at any time you make a man sitting with his arms at work on something which is sideways to him, make the upper part of his body turn upon the hips. 596. When you draw the nude always sketch the whole figure and then finish those limbs which seem to you the best, but make them act with the other limbs, otherwise you will get a habit of never putting the limbs well together on the body, never make the head turn the same way as the torso, nor the arm and leg move together on the same side, and if the face is turned to the right shoulder, make all the parts lower on the left side than on the right, and when you turn the body with the breast outwards, If the head turns to the left side make the parts on the right side higher than those on the left. Footnote, in the original Nizamuch defaced sketch is to be seen by the side of the second part of this chapter, its faded condition has rendered reproduction impossible. In MRAVAISSON's facsimile the outlines of the head have probably been touched up. This passage however is fitly illustrated by the drawings on place XXI. 597. Of painting. Of the nature of movements in man. Do not repeat the same gestures in the limbs of men unless you are compelled by the necessity of their action. As is shown in a B footnote, see place B where part of the text is also reproduced. The effaced figure to the extreme left has evidently been cancelled by Leonardo himself as unsatisfactory. 598. The motions of men must be such as suggest their dignity or their baseness. 599. Of painting. Make your work carry out your purpose and meaning. That is when you draw a figure consider well who it is and what you wish it to be doing. Of painting. With regard to any action which you give in a picture to an old man or to a young one. You must make it more energetic in the young man in proportion as he is stronger than the old one. And in the same way with a young man and an infant. 600. Of setting on the limbs. The limbs which are used for labor must be muscular and those which are not much used you must make without muscles and softly rounded. Of the action of the figures. Represent your figures in such action as may be fitted to express what purpose is in the mind of each, otherwise your art will not be admirable. The suggestions for compositions of painting battle pieces 601, 603, 601 of the way of representing a battle. First you must represent the smoke of artillery mingling in the air with the dust and tossed up by the movement of horses and the combatants. And this mixture you must express thus, the dust, being a thing of earth has weight, and although from its fineness it is easily tossed up and mingles with the air, it nevertheless readily falls again, it is the finest part that rises highest, 
hence that part will be least seen and will look almost of the same color as the air. The higher the smoke mixed with the dust-laden air rises towards a certain level, the more it will look like a dark cloud, and it will be seen that at the top, where the smoke is more separate from the dust, the smoke will assume a bluish tinge and the dust will tend to its color. This mixture of air, smoke and dust will look much lighter on the side once the light comes than on the opposite side. The more the combatants are in this turmoil the less will they be seen, and the less contrast will there be in their lights and shadows, their faces and figures and their appearance, and the musketeers as well as those near them you must make of a glowing red, and this glow will diminish in proportion as it is remote from its cause. The figures which are between you and the light, if they be at a distance, will appear dark on a light background, and the lower part of their legs near the ground will be least visible because there the dust is coarsest and densest, and if you introduce horses galloping outside the crowd, make the little clouds of dust distant from each other in proportion to the strides made by the horses, and the clouds which are furthest removed from the horses, should be least visible, make them high and spreading and thin, and the nearer ones will be more conspicuous and smaller and denser, the air must be full of arrows in every direction, some shooting upwards, some falling, some flying level, the balls from the guns must have a train of smoke following their flight. The figures in the foreground you must make with dust on the hair and eyebrows and on other flat places likely to retain it. The conquerors you will make rushing onwards with their hair and other light things flying on the wind, with their brows bent down, 602, and with the opposite limbs thrust forward, that is where a man puts forward the right foot the left arm must be advanced, and if you make anyone fallen, you must show the place where he has slipped and been dragged along the dust into blood-stained mire, and in the half-liquid earth thereon show the print of the tramping of men and horses who have passed that way. Make also a horse dragging the dead body of his master, and leaving behind him, in the dust and mud, the track where the body was dragged along. You must make the conquered and beaten pale, their brows raised and knit, and the skin above their brows furrowed with pain the sides of the nose with wrinkles going in an arch from the nostrils to the eyes, and make the nostrils drawn up which is the cause of the lines of which I speak, and the lips arched upwards and discovering the upper teeth, and the teeth apart as with crying out and lamentation, and make someone shielding his terrified eyes with one hand, the palm towards the enemy, while the other rests on the ground to support his half-raised body, others represent shouting with their mouths open, and running away. You must scatter arms of all sorts among the feet of the combatants, as broken shields, lances, broken swords and other such objects, and you must make the dead partly or entirely covered with dust, which is changed into crimson mire where it has mingled with the flowing blood whose color shows it issuing in a sinuous stream from the corpse. Others must be represented in the agonies of death grinding their teeth, rolling their eyes, with their fists clenched against their bodies and their legs contorted. Some might be shown disarmed and beaten down by the enemy, turning upon the foe, with teeth and nails, to take an inhuman and bitter revenge. You might see some riderless horse rushing among the enemy, with his mane flying in the wind, and doing no little mischief with his heels. Some maimed warrior may be seen fallen to the earth, covering himself with his shield, while the enemy, bending over him, tries to deal him a death stroke. There again might be seen a number of men fallen in a heap over a dead horse. You would see some of the victors leaving the fight and issuing from the crowd, rubbing their eyes and cheeks with both hands to clean them of the dirt made by their watering eyes smarting from the dust and smoke. The reserves may be seen standing, hopeful but cautious, with watchful eyes, 
shading them with their hands and gazing through the dense and murky confusion, attentive to the commands of their captain, the captain himself, his staff raised, hurries towards these auxiliaries, pointing to the spot where they are most needed, and there may be a river into which horses are galloping, churning up the water all round them into turbulent waves of foam and water, tossed into the air and among the legs and bodies of the horses, and there must not be a level spot that is not trampled with gore. 603. Of lighting the lower parts of bodies closed together. A.S. of men in battle. As to men and horses represented in battle, their different parts will be dark in proportion as they are nearer to the ground on which they stand, and this is proved by the sides of wells which grow darker in proportion to their depth, the reason of which is that the deepest part of the well sees and receives a smaller amount of the luminous atmosphere than any other part, and the pavement, if it be of the same color as the legs of these said men and horses, will always be more lighted and at a more direct angle than the said legs and see. 604. Of the way to represent a night scene, that which is entirely bereft of light is all darkness, given a night under these conditions and that you want to represent a night scene, arrange that there shall be a great fire, then the objects which are nearest to this fire will be most tinged with its color, for those objects which are nearest to a colored light participate most in its nature, as therefore you give the fire a red color, you must make all the objects illuminated by it ready, while those which are farther from the fire are more tinted by the black hue of night, the figures which are seen against the fire look dark in the glare of the firelight because that side of the objects which you see is tinged by the darkness of the night and not by the fire, and those who stand at the side are half dark and half red, while those who are visible beyond the edges of the flame will be fully lighted by the ruddy glow against a black background, as to their gestures, make those which are near it screen themselves with their hands and cloaks as a defense against the intense heat, and with their faces turned away as if about to retire, of those farther off represent several as raising their hands to screen their eyes, hurt by the intolerable glare, of depicting a tempest 605, 606, 605, Describe a wind on land and at sea. Describe a storm of rain. 606. How to represent a tempest. If you wish to represent a tempest consider and arrange well its effects as seen. When the wind, blowing over the face of the sea and earth, removes and carries with it such things as are not fixed to the general mass. And to represent the storm accurately you must first show the clouds scattered and torn, and flying with the wind, accompanied by clouds of sand blown up from the seashore and boughs and leaves swept along by the strength and fury of the blast and scattered with other light objects through the air. Trees and plants must be bent to the ground, almost as if they would follow the course of the gale, with their branches twisted out of their natural growth and their leaves tossed and turned about. Of the men who are there some must have fallen to the ground and be entangled in their garments, and hardly to be recognized for the dust, while those who remain standing may be behind some tree with their arms round it that the wine may not tear them away, others with their hands over their eyes for the dust, bending to the ground with their clothes and hair streaming in the wine, let the sea be rough and tempestuous and full of foam whirled among the lofty waves, while the wine flings the lighter spray through the stormy air, till it resembles a dense and swathing mist, of the ships that are there and some should be shown with rent sails and the tatters fluttering through the air, with ropes broken and masts split and fallen, and the ship itself lying in the through of the sea and wrecked by the fury of the waves with the men shrieking and clinging to the fragments of the vessel, make the clouds driven by the impetuosity of the wind and flung against the lofty mountain tops, 
and wreathed and torn like waves beating upon rocks, the air itself terrible from the deep darkness caused by the dust and fog and heavy clouds, of representing the deluge 607, 609, 607, to represent the deluge, the air was darkened by the heavy rain whose oblique descent driven aslant by the rush of the winds, flew in drifts through the air not otherwise than as we see dust, varied only by the straight lines of the heavy drops of falling water, but it was tinged with the color of the fire kindled by the thunderbolts by which the clouds were to rent and shattered, and whose flashes revealed the broad waters of the inundated valleys, above which was seen the verdure of the bending treetops. Neptune will be seen in the midst of the water with his trident, and let Aeolus with his winds be shown entangling the trees floating uprooted, and whirling in the huge waves. The horizon and the whole hemisphere were obscure, but lured from the flashes of the incessant lightning. Men and birds might be seen crowded on the tall trees which remained uncovered by the swelling waters, originators of the mountains which surround the great abysses. 608. Of the deluge and how to represent it in a picture. Let the dark and gloomy air be seen buffeted by the rush of contrary winds and dense from the continued rain mingled with hail and bearing hither and thither an infinite number of branches torn from the trees and mixed with numberless leaves. All round may be seen venerable trees uprooted and stripped by the fury of the winds, and fragments of mountains, already scoured bare by the torrents, falling into those torrents and choking their valleys till the swollen rivers overflow and submerge the wide lowlands and their inhabitants. Again, you might have seen on many of the hilltops terrified animals of different kinds, collected together and subdued to tameness, in company with men and women who had fled there with their children, the waters which covered the fields, with their waves were in great part strewn with tables, bedsteads, boats and various other contrivances made from necessity and the fear of death, on which were men and women with their children amid sounds of lamentation and weeping, terrified by the fury of the winds which with their tempestuous violence rolled the waters under and over and about the bodies of the drowned, nor was there any object lighter than the water which was not covered with a variety of animals which, having come to a truce, stood together in a frightened crowd among them wolves, foxes, snakes and others fleeing from death, and all the waters dashing on their shores seemed to be battling them with the blows of drowned bodies, blows which killed those in whom any life remained, you might have seen assemblages of men who, with weapons in their hands, defended the small, 